Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Well, this is uh, the first Sunday, which is uh, of what is commonly called Lent in the church calendar. Lent is a time of uh, reflection. It's a time of uh, repentance. Uh, Many of us are uh, fasting during the course of Lent. And, um, you know, it's it's a time of, of giving up, giving things up. So as we thought about this Lent series, uh, we landed on giving it up. And uh, we know that many of us, we give up certain things during this 40-day time period. Um, Sometimes we ask each other. It's not so unusual. It's it's so strange, isn't it? Like, it's so uh, common uh, for someone to be seen with ashes on their forehead during this season of Ash Wednesday. That started uh, last week. And... um, and it's, it's a common practice, it's not unusual. And, um, and then when it comes to the actual Lent experience, it's often asked, what are you giving up? What are you giving up during this season? It's a common, a common occurrence. Some of us are giving up alcohol, some of us are giving up sugar, some of us are giving up social media. What is it in your life that you are looking at and going, I wonder what that is that would remind me of this Lent season. What is it? What is the reason that I'm living into this in this time of my life? Now, now all of these things are beneficial. Like, they're always, they're always good for us. It's always good for us to abstain, to be disciplined, to be self-controlled. But we believe that there are some things that God's calling us to that are not just for a 40-day period of Lent, but it is for all of life. It's getting down deep into the roots of why we do the things that we do. And so over the course of the next number of weeks, we're going to be talking about giving up expectations. We're going to talk about giving up superiority, giving up enemies, giving up popularity. As I was thinking through all of this, I had this brief vision in my mind of what this could look like. What it would look like if you and I, and I envisioned you all sitting here this morning. In my mind's eye, I was, because I can see all of you every weekend when I'm up here, like, you know, your faces sort of just are fried into my head. And so it doesn't take me very long to begin to see you and you, all of you in the seats. And I felt a very clear prompting to say to you this morning that as I saw you, I imagined what God saw. I imagined the good that would erupt out of this place if we took the next seven weeks seriously. If we actually said, I will give up my enemies like I'll actually love people to the extent to which they don't deserve, but I didn't deserve being loved either. And yet Jesus came that I would experience his love, his grace, his mercy. What if 
you and I made a decision right now that we're going to live into this because we believe God is calling us to more. God is calling us to be the people that actually, if we don't talk about the difference we can make in our community, uh, four Sundays out of five, I, I'd have to go back and look. But I think it's a, it's a common occurrence that we talk about. What if, what if, what if? I'm asking us, let's do it. Like I'm actually telling you, step in. Let's do this together. Because hundreds of us will make a significant difference in the world that we live in. But it has to be one person at a time at a time making the decision to actually live into what it would look like if we give it up, if we give it up. Today, I want to talk to you about giving up control. Ask the person next to you, are you controlling? Go ahead. Ask the person next to you, are you controlling? Are you scared to do that? You know, in our world where we're, uh, we're used to uh, having control over so many things, and it's, so it's, it's really easy for us to assume that the filter through which we, uh, we, we think through, the filter of our experience, the filter of, of our experience is, is shaping our perspective. And we think that because we have this perspective that we're right, we're right, and since, and since uh, we're right, we're also accurate in everything that we say and do, and then we end up uh, running our lives with little regard to what the will of God might be in our lives. That's what happens when we, when we choose to keep control of every aspect of our lives. So we're, we are unaccustomed to not being in control, and yet how often have you and I had a conversation? We've talked about the chaos in our lives. We've, we've talked about the lack of peace in our workplace. We've talked about the difficulty of our health and finances. We've talked about the chaos of the decisions that other people are making that we're impacted by. So are we really in control? Really? Or might it be that we've subscribed to the perception of control? Like we like to think we're in control, but as we all know, life comes at us. And when health goes by the wayside, when, when we hurt, when disease takes a hold of our body, when we have a sudden occurrence in our lives where Death is at our doorstep. Like when those things happen, all of a sudden, we recognize that we have very little control. Even then, the temptation, just like, just like giving up sugar for Lent, you step back into the old routines. And all of a sudden, you start taking, yeah, I'm going to take that piece of candy again. I'm so glad Lent's over. I can get more, I can have a little more sugar. And pretty soon, you're back into the same old habits you've always been in. The same thing happens when we begin to recognize that we have no control, really, about what happens to us in the whole scheme of things. And so we recognize that, and then life, your body heals, 
Things happen, things are better again, and if we're not careful, we step right back into the same old patterns we've always lived in. Because we like control. I like control. It's a human nature, it's an attribute of the human nature. We want to be in control. I want us to turn to Matthew chapter four for our scripture this morning. Matthew chapter four, starting in verse one. This is, uh, Jesus has just been baptized by John. And we begin reading in, in verse one, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, or some translations, the Greek would suggest uh, he was uh, uh, tested. He was tested there by the devil. Okay. Have you had a wilderness experience? A sort of a, a thing that uh, some of us have experienced time and again? different times. Sometimes we think we're in the wilderness, we're in the desert, we're in this place where, why are we here again? Like, didn't we learn enough the last time? And yet, here we go again. Scripture says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. You know that sometimes God allows circumstances that threaten our peace do you know that God sometimes allows difficult trials, and I believe they provoke our addiction to control? He's like saying, hold on, let me show you something. Let me take you to a place where you can't control the circumstances. Let me show you what's really going on. Because when this happens to us, when, when our addiction to control is highlighted, We find stability in him alone. When everything else is gone, when we recognize that we can't, we can't control this, these circumstances, it's that then that we find that our stability is in Jesus alone. Verse two, for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. I love this detail. Jesus was human like you and I. Fully God, fully man. That means that he experienced hunger. Have you ever fasted for 40 days? Like, I mean, really, like no food, no water. Me either. I've done versions, but I've eaten and I've had something to drink. Like, this is a significant scenario because during that time, verse 3 says, the devil, the one who tempts, came and said to him, all right, this is a throwback to Genesis. The devil comes along and says, if you are. So it's like back at the garden when the, 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 the devil came up to Eve and he said, did God really say? Throwing that doubt and that question mark in as to the sovereignty and the power of God. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Well, I don't know about you, but I would have been pretty tempted if I had the capacity, the power to turn these stones to bread, I would have been tempted to do so. Which also makes me think that Jesus might have been tempted to do so. How do you know when it is the voice of the devil speaking to you and tempting you? How do you know? Are there some things that you listen for? How, does it, how do you hear the voice of the enemy? 
I know. It's not always easy to ID that voice, right? It's not always that easy to identify that voice. Sometimes, you know, you, you read this passage and it's like, well, well, what can go wrong? It's not like he's saying something really obnoxious about Jesus is hungry. That the devil is appealing to his desire in that moment. His physical desire was to eat food. The devil comes and asks him to turn the, the stones to bread. It wasn't something outlandish. Jesus could have very easily submitted to that. See, the, see when we're tempted, when the enemy comes to us, when our adversary comes to us, it's not often that he comes to us with some outlandish idea, like that, something you've never considered before. It's usually just a little bit off-center. It's just enough for us to justify it, to say, hmm, I wonder if I could control this situation and no one would ever know. It's just a little bit off. The way you ID, the way you identify the devil's voice is, does it fully align with the word of God? Does what is being said to you, do you hear it through the, through the voice of the tempter or is it actually the Holy Spirit coming to you? You always have to ask that question. Who am I listening to in this moment? Who am I listening to? Of course, Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. All right, well, let's try another tactic. So the devil takes him to the holy city, to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, again, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responds, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. I clearly remember the first time I heard this passage preached uh, in my recollection. It was one of the first times. And the uh, old, old guy up there preaching said, if you, <laughs> if you look at all of these scriptures, And if you submit to the question of, if you are the son of God, like jump off, like Jesus could have jumped off of there and he would have been held up by the angels. All of that was, he had access to all of that. But don't tempt the Lord your God. Don't step into that testing mode was the admonition from this old preacher. So then the devil didn't get him to jump off, of course. And he takes him to the peak of the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will, if you will kneel down and worship him, worship me. You know what? If you don't know the scriptures, if you don't know, if you, don't, if you only come here on Sunday mornings and you read the word as I'm reading it, you're reading it on the screen and maybe that's the only time you've read, your, read the Bible during the course of the week. This is also an admonition from an old time preacher. You can't expect, you can't expect to actually be able to withstand the devil if you don't know the word of God. 
If the only time you immerse yourself in scripture is a few minutes here when it's on the screen, you're in big trouble. You're in big trouble, and your life tells me that. So dig in the word. Figure out a way to be self-controlled and disciplined. We'll get to that. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Three times Satan came to him. Three times he was rebuffed, and then the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Jesus was tempted in every way, just like we are. In this scenario, he was tempted with a physical desire. He was tempted to take on power before it was his to take on. He was tempted to take on position. But Jesus denied his, his human impulses, the things that he would most naturally do, and followed God's will. Jesus is the epitome of self-control and of discipline. See, this is God's best for you, too. To deny ourselves and give him the final say in everything that we do, in our day-to-day -day life. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be in the small things. Start with the small things. Give him the small things. And gradually, you'll find that your trust rises. You trust your belief. It rises to the level where you can begin to give the big things. When we're surrendered, and by that I simply mean when we find our value and worth who God says we are, we live with an authority and a grace that represents the truth of the scripture. See, if we're not living a surrendered life, we've got to ask the question, why not? Why is it that I have not released my life to the, to the authority of Jesus? In John 14, Jesus says these words. He says, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. See, these are the promises of God. Whoever believes in me is more than just simply saying the words. It actually requires action behind those words. If we're going to believe in something, we're actually going to act like we believe in that thing. See, this is our calling. This is our calling to follow the way of Jesus and be self-controlled. The onus is on us to do the hard work of how that comes about. How do we become people who actually, who actually bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And one of the elements of that fruit is self-control. If you don't know where you're going in life, if you haven't uh, decided that I'm going to wake up in the morning and this is the course that I'm on, I have vision for my life. Some of you are meeting with me one-on-one -on -one and we're developing a vision for your life. So this is, this is old information for some of you. But if you don't have a vision for your life, if, you have, if, you, if you've started down this journey of life and you really don't know where you're going or why you're going that direction, I would... I would encourage you to step back and go, all right, I gotta make some decisions. Who am I? What is my identity? Who am I? At my core, what am I about? What am I after? What are my core values? What are the things that, that I won't compromise on? What are my core values? And what's the mission I'm on? What is my mission? Identity, mission, core values, what is it? That makes up your vision for your life. And if you are on a trajectory where you aren't representing 
the controlled life, the self-controlled life that Jesus calls us to. And any, the, a multitude of other ways where the, the spirit of God does not have full control of your life. Step back. Ask the hard questions. Live into it. Believe that God will inform you what your identity is, what your mission is, what your core values are. See, Jesus really exemplified what healthy control looks like. In this passage of scripture, he resisted the devil. He resisted the enemy. He showed self-control. You know how disciplined you have to be in those moments? I think you do. So what does healthy control look like? Healthy control looks like, well, can you imagine a basketball game without a referee? Like utter chaos. There's a referee to control the game. Bosses keep us accountable. That's good control. When we set boundaries for ourselves and, and others, boundaries are a good thing. That's a good way of control. Now, as parents, have you ever heard, um, have you ever heard someone say, your kids are out of control? Maybe you, they haven't said it to you. They've said it, but maybe just not to you. Your kids are out of control. Parental control is a really good thing. The challenge is, and Brenda and I know this firsthand. Some of you are just learning this. The challenge is to not allow that control to slip into uh, controlling them in their adulthood. It's, a, it's appropriate to control your child and to give guidance when they're small. But gradually, you have to release them into adulthood. This is healthy and good control. Now, there's also a dark side to this, and you know this to be true, because we've all felt controlled by people that did not have our best intentions in mind. So what does unhealthy control look like? It looks like trying to control the narrative of our lives to make sure that the negative things in our life are never seen. We control the narrative of our lives. We control the narrative of our past. We make up stories about our past that we control the narrative to make sure that we have a good, uh, uh, like people look at us and think of us well. Like we would never want someone to think negatively of us. We have this curated version of our life Some of us are control freaks. You ever been there? Has anyone ever said to you, you're a control freak? Deep down, control freaks, let's just go there, are terrified of being vulnerable. They're often anxious, insecure, irrationally angry, See, when everything fits into the neat little box that a controlling person has created, everything's good and peaceful. But control freaks have told themselves a story about this. Their heart is only stable. Somehow they've decided their heart is only stable, like they only have stability in their life if everything is neatly packaged in that little box. 
See, Seth Myers, he's a psychologist. He has a few thoughts about this. Controlling people are famous for always needing to correct others. Well, if they're wrong, like I'm an Enneagram One. If they're wrong, I, I got to let them know. Okay, well, there's a healthy way to do that. And then there's this unhealthy controlling attitude that comes along and really makes us go sideways. We correct spelling and pronunciation. We correct details of what happened in the past. Uh, we correct bad manners. We correct people when they do something wrong or inappropriate. It's our job as control freaks. Those of us in the room who struggle with this, we know, we, like, we think it's our job. But underneath the motivation to correct others is the belief that this person is usually, if not always, right. Controlling people find relationships to be really difficult. High control men and women like to set the rules and believe they need to enforce them. So they tend to act with a superior attitude toward others. And they don't mind making it known uh, that they are the most practical, logical, and intelligent people in any room. And they refuse to admit when they're wrong. Hands down, one of the traits that most annoys most of us, if we are around a, a controlling person, is that they have, like, they simply refuse to admit when they're wrong. It could be the smallest, simplest issue, but high control people don't really care. If there's any perception that they did something wrong, they don't want to admit it. See, their thinking is distorted. It's distorted to the point that they believe others may use their admission against them or will perceive them as incompetent or foolish because of a simple mistake. As a rule, these individuals present all or nothing, black or white thinking, dealing with anything in between. How comfortable are you in the gray? Because anything in between, typically for this kind of a person, is, uh, is, is uncomfortable. Asking for and receiving forgiveness is unthinkable because of the resulting implication that perhaps they are less than perfect or that someone will use it against them. Got enough yet? High control people. Judgmental thinking begins as soon as their feet hit the floor. And not just about other people. Like, high control people are judgmental of themselves first. The self-criticism is off the charts. Like, we have a hard time loving ourselves when we are high control, control freaks. They are highly principled, they hold themselves and others to a very high performance standard. Sometimes they're not cognizant of this, but their lack of graciousness for themselves translates to a lack of grace for others as well. Frustration is often an ever-present emotion and is just under the surface, maybe invisible, but at some point it erupts to a place of anger. Control freaks often get frustrated while driving, Road rage is these people. They know how to drive correctly, of course. And so when they're driving and someone doesn't drive correctly, angry birds and angry words fly. They tend to let the other people know. When you're a full-on high-control person, 
whether you're that all the time or if you just simply have a few areas of your life that maybe you've never relinquished control of. I want you to know this morning that life and peace is just on the other side of surrender. Just because this is naturally where you go doesn't mean that's naturally where you have to stay. You know, it's not lost on me that for some of us, our need for control is a result of trauma, trauma that has taught us that to trust people is to experience pain yet again. I know that to be true. What I also know to be true is that uh, what happens to you is out of your control. But how you respond, what your attitude is toward what happens to you, that's the thing you can control. I wonder if you're ready to give up control this morning. Does that make you anxious or does that give you relief? When you think about that, when you consider what it might look like for you to relinquish control. When we bear the fruit of self-control, when we are disciplined, we are living in freedom. It may not feel like that in the short term, but the truth is, when you are self-controlled, you have freedom. When you are disciplined, you have freedom. I wonder if you're ready to trust Jesus alone. Because see, at the heart, at the heart of this matter of control is a difficulty to trust. We know that we are unstable in all our ways, and yet we don't believe that, practically speaking. As long as I'm in control, my life is stable. But we have a false perception. Would you stand with me? I'll ask again, are you ready to trust Jesus alone? getting really honest about what is true about us, surrendering, being self-controlled or being disciplined, opens us up to, um, to an opportunity for our desires to actually be met. Jesus had a desire to eat when he was in the, in, in the wilderness. You all have desires that are deep inside of you, desires that God has given you. When you live a life of self-control and discipline, you open yourselves up for those desires to be met. You open yourselves up to be positioned as a person of influence, to function as a powerful follower of Jesus. When you open yourself up this way, 
you will become a leader that is worth following. You'll bring credibility and strength to every conversation and to every relationship, but it requires the surrendering for us to live at an optimal level. Are you ready to trust Jesus alone? Our prayer team will be along the front this morning. It doesn't have to be the first time that you've acknowledged that Jesus is who he says he is for you to come and receive prayer. If that is the case, certainly come, and we'd love to pray with you about that. But are you ready to trust Jesus alone? Can you do that? Or will you begin Monday morning in the same place you left Friday night? Father, we thank you that you, uh, you not only came for us, you, you not only sent Jesus to, to die on the cross for us, but you sent Jesus so that we would have life, abundant life, so that we could experience real life right now, not sometime in some distant future, then too, but especially right now. God, we want to, to step into places of where we are uh, living out our deepest desires, where we are living with influence, where we are living powerfully, where we don't have to cower from the enemy, but where we can stand up, throw our shoulders back, and rebuke the enemy, and then live in victory, live in ways in which we are so surprised. God, help us be surprised this week at the goodness of your presence in our lives. God, we submit ourselves to you even now. We surrender those things that we've been holding on to, the control that we have so loved and hated at the same time. Help us to step out of the places where we've been, to step into a life of self-control and discipline. The waiting world is watching. Help us to live our lives that in ways that are so unusually good that our world around us is inspired to seek after you. May our lives be so full on Jesus that there's never a question about who we are. Use us this day for your glory and your honor. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.